Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and today we take you to one of my favorite cities in the USA, Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. I recently was able to sit down with Stephen Bland and his whole executive team. Stephen Bland is the CEO of Nashville Metropolitan Transportation Authority, whose service has recently been rebranded as WeGo Public Transit in the wake of the unsuccessful referendum there for significant more funding a year or two ago. Steve digs in and tells us about what happened during that uh, whole public debate over the referendum and what's happened since then. They've had a lot of exciting things happen and more coming up soon. He also takes us Back into his history a little bit. Steve is one of the uh, CEOs who has been around a little bit. He was CEO of the Port Authority of Allegheny County or the Pittsburgh Transportation Authority. He also was CEO of the Capital District Transportation Authority in uh, Albany, New York, um, and also was CEO or executive director of the York County Public Transportation Authority in South Central Pennsylvania. He's had a number of positions and tells us about his career, what they're doing in Nashville now, and what's coming in the future on this episode of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and today I'm in downtown Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, sitting in the office of Steve Bland, who is CEO of WeGo Public Transit and the RTA of Middle Tennessee. Steve, thanks for having me in today. You bet, Paul. Yeah. Great to have you. We just had a good time with his staff, uh, t- taught a class on the five hidden flaws of both transit systems. And Steve, you got a great team. Uh, your executives there are focused, motivated, care about the passenger. You've got a great group here. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. I've been lucky wherever I've been that Everybody else makes me look good. <laughs> That's important. So tell us how you got here, actually. Uh, you've had quite a good background in public transit. Yeah. Uh, t- let's walk us through your career a little bit. Sure. Well, you and I were talking about this earlier. Once you get to a certain point, you quit saying how many years of experience, and you just cap it at a certain point. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I have about 30 years plus, we'll say 30 years plus there experience, all in public transit, starting in very small transit agencies, as small as eight buses in Cape Ann, Massachusetts, as general manager there. Uh, and I've been CEO at now four transit agencies, York, Pennsylvania, with about 80 buses, 120 employees or so. Uh, Albany, New York, Capital District Transportation Authority, with about 300 buses. Uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we had the uh, multimodal system, light rail and largely bus, and now here in Nashville, uh, and here in Nashville, our scope is we carry about 35,000 passengers each weekday with about 750 employees. Great. And uh, you have a unique system. Tell me about you're actually over two transit systems. Yeah, the way we're set up here in Nashville, uh, we actually manage two transit organizations. One is the Metropolitan Transit Authority of Nashville and Davidson County. It's a component unit of Nashville city county government. Nashville is a consolidated city county government. And that is a traditional urban transit system. We also, under contract, uh, the Metropolitan Transit Authority manages the services of the Regional Transportation Authority of Middle Tennessee, which is really a commuter-oriented operation. Serves a 10-county area. It's created by state legislation here in Tennessee. A 39-member board, really generally composed of all of our city and county member mayors, as well as governor's appointees from each of those city and counties. 
and the commissioner of the Tennessee Department of Transportation. And that system is largely a radial commute-oriented system, uh, largely commuter bus running in and out of downtown Nashville, as well as our WeGo Star, the commuter rail operation uh, that we run in one particular line, 32-mile line between downtown Nashville and Lebanon, Tennessee to our east. Okay. And you have quite a few when we're talking about the region itself. So I'm friends with Gary uh, Roosevelt over in Memphis. You have a couple other really good transit systems in the state. Yeah. Tennessee has a really strong network and a super strong state association or what we refer to as our large, having come from states like New York and Pennsylvania, hard to refer to them as large urbans, Mm -hmm. but our large urbans are Nashville, Memphis, Knoxville and Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. And then we also have smaller urban systems in cities like Clarksville and Jackson and Murfreesboro. And then a very strong community transit provider network in pretty much every rural county in Tennessee has some form of public transportation. That's great. I think you and I will be going next week to the Tennessee Public Transportation Association. You're doing a session. I'm doing a keynote there. It'll be fun. I I get get to meet all your... TIPT is a great group, and it's in Chattanooga, which is one of the, uh, I think, most overlooked and need-to-be-visited cities in America. Oh, I can't wait to go there. So how long have you been here? About five and a half years now. Okay, that's good. And what a great city. I mean, I love Nashville. It's one of my favorite cities. I mean, the city... For a transit system, though, to run a, to run in a city that says event-driven, I guess, or special, yeah. tell me about that. It's a challenge. We are a downtown-oriented transit system, and actually our entire transportation network really radiates out of downtown Nashville. And tourism here has exploded in the last five or six years, much to the credit of the folks who, who do a lot of our um, tourism and our hospitality business. I think uh, this year we'll handle about 14 million visitors to wow. the city. So, and that that goes up exponentially. Uh, the challenge with it is we have a lot of folks descending on downtown. We have some huge special events. We hosted the NFL draft this past year, which brought uh, $200,000, 200,000 people a day into our downtown. Oh, really? Course, which wow. absolutely, which means we have times where. Um, we have more bus routes on detour than not on detour. So <laughs> wow. it's a challenge for our marketing communications group to keep our customers alerted in real time as to what's happening. You use Twitter to do that? We use Twitter. We use a lot of the real-time feeds. Okay. Uh, we have you know, real-time information on our system, so we're always pushing out service alerts through our own real-time information as well as the third-party apps that, uh, that carry that. So generally, we get high marks for that. But obviously, it does affect on-time performance yeah. and is a challenge in, uh, in just generally operating the system. You told me your average speed on some of sometimes downtown yeah. can get pretty low, huh? Yeah, our average speed during the afternoon rush hour here is about four and a half miles an hour. And in addition to the tourism, um, downtown employment's actually exploding. We do mm. a crane count. There's about 33 construction cranes up. Some of the majors, um, large investment bank out of New York announced their relocation here. They're building their building, Alliance Bernstein. We got the mini prize out of the Amazon sweepstakes. Oh, that's right. uh, Amazon is locating a logistics headquarters here. So they're placing about 5,000 jobs in our downtown core. Wow. So we anticipate the downtown workforce to exceed 100,000 over the next couple of years. And 
I've been watching that Ken Burns special on country music, and you know that's only got to drive up tourism as well. People get interested. I mean, that made me want to visit again. You know, a couple things. My favorite thing here, one of my favorite things, is the Johnny Cash Museum. I love yeah, that. Yeah. But you know, I think we're going to try to go tomorrow to the Country Music Hall of Fame, and you got the Ryman here, and all, all yeah. the great sites here. Yeah. People love this city. Yeah, and even a lot of people think of it as country music, but A, it's more music than that. Wherever yes. you're attracting musicians, musicians anymore don't tend to focus on one genre. Right. But it's also attracting, we're exploding in a young person population. The tech sector's taking off in large part, chasing the talent that's moving here. And for my personal benefit, um, the restaurant scene here has really become um, Im impeccable in the last oh, few years. Oh, that's great, yeah. So tell me about let's let's go back a couple years. I was here a couple years ago with you at a conference that you spoke at, mm -hmm. and we talked then. And you were going through a referendum, or just right. had gone through it maybe then. Right. So tell us a little. That kind of put Nashville on the transit, you know, yeah. radar of all of us transit people. Yes. Tell us about that and what's happened since then. Well, yeah. yeah, for a moment when the referendum was run, running, we were very popular with a lot of the <laughs> suppliers and consultants in the transit industry. And unfortunately, it failed by a pretty wide margin. And uh, what was the referendum about? What was it? What was it going to do? Well, largely, again, the the re very rapid growth in Nashville. One of the things that's exploded is our overall traffic congestion. We are definitely moving up the charts in terms of um, congestion yeah. and the amount of time people spend in traffic. So, large interest on the part of our business community, our elected leadership, in trying to address that. We developed a program of projects. We actually got special legislation passed by the state in conjunction with a broader transportation bill to allow local option. And frankly, um, it got pushed out very quickly. So it was a large program of projects. It was about an $8 billion, $9 billion, over 15 years investment program. Mm. Uh, included light rail, significant expansion, about a doubling of our, the size of our bus system. A lot of ancillary investments um, like street networks, pedestrian improvements, neighborhood transit centers, what have you. Improvements. So was it was it the boat that everybody built? Yeah, in large <laughs> part. And frankly, I think it kind of epitomized sort of the feeling in the city at the time was, you know, nothing too big, nothing too ambitious for us to try to take on. And frankly, it failed by about a two to one margin. It failed by about a 61 to 39 vote. And a lot of the feedback we got was, you know, we're not sure that the speed and the rate and the direction of growth is exactly where we want to be in a broad sense. Uh, we're dealing with issues like affordable housing. The cost of living here is increasing. It's still very affordable, particularly relative to coastal cities, but increasing very rapidly. Uh, and there are other gaps in services. So I think one of the pieces of feedback we got was, we're just not sure that we need to slow it down. We need to think a little bit yeah, more about yeah. it. And the other thing, frankly, that people reacted to was, um, boy, this is a lot of money in a short period of time. How can we be sure that we can get a return on investment for this? So I think the lesson we take away was largely if you looked at 90 percent of the components in the plan that went to the ballot, they're widely supported. People want to see faster bus service, more frequent bus service, later hours, more direct crosstown connections as an example, more neighborhood transit centers, upgraded pedestrian amenities. But when it came to what I referred to in the ballot measure as the three T's, taxes, trains, and tunnel, those were the things that people really had kind of a visceral reaction to. 
was it going to make taxes go up? Yeah, the proposal, there were actually three sources that were going up. The state legislation that was passed limited the sources we could go after. The biggest chunk, about 91% of the portfolio of funds was coming out of a graduated increase in the sales tax here, starting at a half percent for the first five years, then going up a full percent. And because Tennessee doesn't have a um, state income tax and property taxes here are relatively low, it's a state and as a city, Nashville is very reliant on sales tax. So we already have a, a very high sales what, tax. What is it now? It's uh, nine and a quarter percent. Wow. Okay. Part of that is about six percent of that is on the state side. About three and a quarter is on the city side. Okay. So, so that was um, going to be a twenty-five percent increase in your city sales tax then. Yeah. Three exactly. And, four, yeah. and frankly, you know, from a just from a messaging standpoint, would drive if you were coming to Nashville, would drive that sales tax over ten percent. Yeah. Which, uh, a yeah. lot of people kind of had that reaction to. Yeah, I understand. And then what with the trains thing? That with the light rail. Yeah, light rail uh, was a component. And frankly, when we were doing our long-range transportation plan, very clearly, Nashville needs to develop high-capacity transit corridors in some of our key arterials. We already see high levels of ridership on what's pretty much just local bus service now. So the need for priority measures, whether that's bus rapid transit or light rail or what have you, um, was very important. We did in the long-range planning process extensive and comprehensive public engagement, public public outreach, uh, reached out to about 20,000 folks in the region over about a year period. Largely, the reaction at that point was we need to invest enough to make sure that it makes a difference. If we just kind of tool around on the edges, it's just not going to be effective. Um, what we were very clear about is if you look at something like a light rail investment in the corridors that we were examining at that point, the current levels of density and development don't support it. You're not going to have the level of ridership that you need. So in order to do that, it really would rely on extensive, much more dense development in those corridors. That was a concept that was consistent with the city's comprehensive plan that had been developed a couple of years before. It was something, frankly, that the development community was very supportive of because um, they actually are trying to do more dense development in those corridors. And it was one of the factors uh, that kind of worked against us in the referendum where beyond the issue of a train was the idea that some corridors that really just one and two story commercial corridors historically might be getting, you know, 12 and 15 story office buildings or apartment buildings. So um, that was certainly a factor. Uh, in the deciding of the public. And were you going to get some tunnels too? Well, we we talked about the downtown issue earlier. And uh, we have, in addition to all sorts of tourists and general traffic and transportation, first of all, if you haven't been to downtown Nashville, we don't have the very wide boulevards through the city that a lot of cities do. Most of our downtown major streets are two lanes maybe three if you get a big one. Mm -hmm. So there isn't a huge amount of capacity. When you put on top of that a lot of special event load, yeah. um, one of the great things, one of the things that really turned around downtown Nashville about 20 years ago was when they built what is now the Bridgestone Arena downtown, where our hockey team plays, where there's a huge number of concerts and events. That really catalyzed redevelopment. It also is a focal point for our celebrations. And in addition to the special events that take up street space, unbelievable levels of construction activity. There are There's construction here on more blocks downtown than there aren't. 
We also have what we like to refer to as a multitude of uh, transportainment options. <laughs> Pedal taverns, golf carts, tractor pulls, you name it. If it has wheels and carries tourists, it's wow. probably in Nashville. Valet lanes, um, parking lanes, you name it, all of these uses. So when we were looking at priority corridors for transit and we're doing the traffic impact studies, we sort of hit and working with the city and TDOT and other entities, that issue of, well, whose ox gets bored, you know, when you create that dedicated bus lane. And the honest truth was the engineering group that worked on it developed the idea that, you know, well, we can address all of this. The, the only real way to expand capacity of the downtown street network was to essentially go under it. Mm. Um, so one of the components was about a mile and a half tunnel mm. from the north end of the downtown core to the south end of the downtown core that would have been a combined rail and bus tunnel, similar to what they're doing in Seattle or what they've done in Seattle. That obviously chewed up a huge chunk uh, of the program budget. Yeah, I bet you. So that failed by a two to one uh, yep. vote at, the, at the polls. What year was that? 17? That was 20. Wow, 2017. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it was. Time flies because we were here when that was happening. Right. So, what have you done since then? So, that didn't happen. So, you've got a whole new brand and a whole new everything. What's going? I mean, you really turned what could potentially have been a crisis into an opportunity. I think. Right. Well, one thing that's important um, for us to remember that a lot of the individual projects that went onto the referendum package came out of our long-range plan from 2016, we called it in motion, again, okay. heavily engaging, um, a lot of metrics, a lot of data research, but extensive public outreach in all the neighborhoods of Nashville, as well as the nine surrounding counties. And the overwhelming majority of that plan was widely supported. So after the defeat of the referendum, when folks would say to us, well, what are you gonna do now? Said, well, we have a strategic service plan and we're still gonna advance on that plan. And it's concepts like, making our service simpler to use. So we're advancing our um, account-based fare collection system with interoperability with other transportation modes here in the city, like the parking network. Oh, okay. Um, And that will go to beta test here in the next few months with full implementation in 2020. You mentioned the rebranding when we were doing the the public outreach on the planning and also through a more formal focus group exercise we pursued opinions on the perceptions of the system. And while people respected what we did and thought the service was good, they viewed the general image as being kind of bureaucratic, governmental, slow to move, that sort of thing. It was just Nashville MTA. That was the brand of the system. So we wanted to move away from that and uh, the folks who we spoke to. So we really wanted to become more, you know, this is a friendly town. This is a people-focused town. We want you to connect more to people and experiences in our neighborhoods, become more people-centric. So going through the typical branding exercise, again, using a professional firm that does this sort of thing, uh, that's where the, the whole name of WeGo Public Transit came up. And knowing this is not only national, but international po- uh, podcast, Paul, yes. I will give credit because the first thing I do with with some level of, you know, regulatory background yes. <laughs> is, okay, let me Google WeGo mm-hmm. Public Transit and the agency in Niagara Falls, Canada is called WeGo. So mm-hmm. once we found that there wasn't a legal barrier, we pursued it. And, um, and so far, the response has been tremendous. We've been branded as WeGo for about a year now. 
And we already have, in terms of um, brand recognition, we have about a 70% brand recognition in the region, which within a one-year period is pretty astounding. One of the things that we um, saw that, that to me was particularly encouraging was when we would ask in terms of random survey questions of people in the, in the county, you know, if you're a non-user of our system, would you consider using it? Hmm. The rate of people saying yes before and after the rebranding tripled. So we know that it's done, look, rebranding, trying to create a new identity, trying to relate more closely to customers isn't going to instantly get you ridership. If the service isn't there, if the quality isn't there, it's not going to work. But what branding can do is at least open up people's awareness give them the opportunity to look at what you do and see if it works for them. And from that perspective, we think it's been tremendously successful. Today at the meeting, a lot of your staff, it's a Friday, so they had purple polo shirts on. Mm-hmm. And that led me to us to have a little conversation about your color scheme and how you've unified it and created a whole new color scheme. And you had a great story about that. Tell me about how you ended up with purple buses. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Contrary to popular opinion, purple is not my favorite color, although I will tell you it, it has grown on me, and I actually really do like um, the scheme. But the I'm com- from Baltimore, so you know the Ravens are purple, so everybody oh, loves, everybody yeah, loves I, purple there. Yeah. Remember, I used to live in Pittsburgh. That's so right. That, you don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but in any case, we were working with the ad agency, you know, obviously, and frankly for us in the transit industry, the best way for us to promote our brand is through our rolling stock, through sure. those buses and rail cars that people see all the time. And not just whatever the paint scheme might be or the logo might be, but that they're clean and they're reliable and they're not smoking and they just give off. Whether you ever ride it or not, does that vehicle give a positive impression? So when the ad agency was talking to us about that, they said, well, you know, your vehicles are your best asset. And when you think about using primary colors, which we try to do in this type of thing, red's kind of taken by fire trucks, yellow's kind of taken by school buses, um, blue's kind of that governmental institutional thing you get away. So when you work through all the colors, you're left with two colors, orange and purple. And in the state of Tennessee, where the University of Tennessee volunteers are bright orange, as long as you're a Vols fan, that's great. If you're not a Vols fan, it's a very divisive color. <laughs> so we sort of defaulted to purple. So far, it's worked out. The process well. of elimination. Yeah, huh? exactly. yeah. We, it was It was an optimization. Yeah. It was process of elimination. <laughs> elimination. Well, the kids love it, right? Barney, the dinosaur is purple. And yeah, absolutely. My grandkids love purple. Absolutely. Um, through that process of the referendum, you, I'm sure, got very uh, tuned into the politics of the region. Tell us about uh, the governance structure. Mm-hmm. How 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 is MTA and uh, the RTA? How are they governed? Sure. Well, f- folks from around the country would know that generally here in the South, and certainly Tennessee, would be considered a red state. A lot of folks we refer to Nashville as the little blue dot in the big red sea. Nashville itself is actually a very progressive, very liberal city. Um, Sometimes that's a challenge working in the state environment. But the one thing we found, because Metro Transit Authority, and by the way, both the Metro Transit Authority and the Regional Transportation Authority, both boards independently decided to go with the WeGo brand. Okay. So one of the things in our long-range plan uh, that we heard from customers and prospective customers was this whole RTA, MTA this is all too confusing. We Mm -hmm. want simple, we want seamless, we want fare collection systems that are integrated, we want 
um, itinerary planning systems that are integrated, websites that are integrated. So that's a big part of the move of WeGo. You know, and to be honest, in board meetings, it gets confusing. Or we we go MTA, we go RTA. Um, the Metro Transit Authority for Nashville and Davidson County, five members appointed by the mayor of Nashville. The Regional Transportation Authority of Middle Tennessee serves a 10-county area. It's created by state legislation. We actually have 39 members mm. composed of governor's appointees from each of the counties that belong. Um, the commissioner of the Tennessee Department of Transportation and the mayors of each of the member city and counties. So I'm trying to track my, yeah. it's hard to keep track. It's quite a few. It's about 19 city and county mayors that sit on that board as well. And they run the gamut from in Nashville, you know, a very liberal base to in some of our outlying counties, which are kind of um, suburban slash rural, very conservative. The one thing, um, frankly, that I was struck by when I came here was the spirit of collaboration and cooperation among the mayors and the leadership here, and particularly around issues like transportation, where the most liberal mayor in Nashville to the most conservative mayor in the outlying part of the county, in, in the outlying part of our service district, is aligned around trying to improve mobility for residents for the region, and all of them to a person view public transportation, mass transit is a crucial part of that solution. That's great. And how are you funded? Do those do those agencies who have a seat at the table, do they also have skin in the game? They do, some more than others, okay. to be frank. We participate to join in the RTA. You basically pay dues on a per capita basis. The dues are relatively nominal, and then you pay on top of that if you're receiving service. So most of our services in the outlying counties we have one corridor that's commuter rail. Okay. Um, so we have the two counties, Davidson County, where Nashville is, and Wilson County that participate on the rail side, as well as, um, in addition to the two counties, are two other cities in Wilson County that participate, support funding of the operations. Um, in Tennessee, the state does support public transit. They support it actually more on the capital side than they do in the operating. State um, operating assistance is about 6% of our budget. So largely it is locally funded. And particularly when you put in the Metro Transit Authority, Nashville is absolutely the lion's share of that. And even at the RTA level, Nashville, because everything kind of radiates out of Nashville, picks up about 50% of the local tab. Okay. And and what is your annual budget? Operating budget for the Metro Transit Authority, it's about $85, $86 million. For the Regional Transportation Authority, about $10 million. Okay. And you have, I'm sure, a pretty good capital budget, too? Lots of stuff going on? Yeah, they, it fluctuates. Sure. Um, and yeah. again, Tennessee is uh, is very supportive. Uh, in fact, when the, the it's called the Improve Act passed a couple of years ago. It's the enabling legislation for our local option referendum capacity. It also um, increased the gas tax predominantly to support roadway uh, improvements statewide. But also there was a carve out for transit capital of about $20 million a year now. Um, that That's an important funding source for us. So do you have any dedicated funding or is it annually appropriated by your city council? Yeah, the real, the real challenge is it is annually appropriated. And, mm -hmm. and the mantra that we go through is reliable, dedicated, growing with the economy, funding for public transportation. We have a number of advocacy groups here in Middle Tennessee that are pursuing that. And I would tell you, Paul, that um, after the referendum, there was about a six-month recovery period. 
mm-hmm. where everybody sort of kind yeah. of took a break. <laughs> right. And then almost literally um, every organization that was involved, and I'm talking about literally probably 20 or 30 um, formal organizations, started coming back to the table saying, okay, we need to go at it again. Okay. So, uh, so we're in that rebuilding process. And um, again, I don't look at anything as a failure. I look at it as a learning experience. Sure, yeah. And some of the things we've learned, I think some of the benefit we'll have long term, to be completely honest, uh, leading up to the referendum, it was very difficult to get the state engaged, whether that be TDOT, the gubernatorial administration, what have you. One of the things coming out of it, you know, when we were in people, it was a Nashville referendum. It was not in the outlying counties. And one of the pieces of information that came out of the defeat was you really need a regional effort. And with a relatively new governor, Governor Lee's been in office now just less than a year, a new commissioner at the Tennessee Department of Transportation, Clay Bright, um, both of them very forward thinking, very business oriented folks. Now with a brand new mayor in Nashville, uh, in John Cooper, there's kind of a renewed sense that we need to do this together. Oh, that's Um, good. The Nashville region is central to the economy of Tennessee statewide. Uh, We sort of anchor the middle of the state and certainly a growing sense that um, the success of Nashville will be important to the success of the state as a whole. And you've just you've just gone through a really uh, unique uh, operation called Better Bus, where you're trying to eliminate redundancy. So yeah. a lot of cities across the country are going through kind of a rerouting, rebranding, yeah. trying to make sure that the system serves people now. Some people are doing it cost neutral. Some people add a little bit. Some people are trying to cut a little bit. They're yeah. using the opportunity with budget cuts to actually say, hey, some of our service doesn't make sense. Let's let's uh, recontextualize what we're doing. Yeah. So you have a Better Bus program, and I saw you had a nice little brochure. Uh, out there at your information that we're here in the central, what you call this your central garage? We go central. Yeah, yep. we go central, yeah. Um, and so it was a uh, survivor's guide to the uh, to the new the service. service so you've reduced yeah. a bunch of bus stops yeah. you didn't need, things like that? Yeah, a lot, uh, a lot of route consolidation, eliminating redundant services. We saw a lot of corridors we, where we essentially compete against ourselves. Right. Trying to create more direct connections. You, you touched on the bus stops, so bus stop consolidation particularly in our key arterial corridors. Yes. Uh, we had a, a kind of a curious model of overlapping local and skip stop services. Um, was, was referred to, I, I hate to mention it on the podcast, because yeah. it's not my favorite marketing name of all time. It's called BRT Light. Okay. And uh, my take on it is, so it's BRT, but less. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we ended up consolidating that model and we spread out the stops a little bit. So the stop spacing went to about a third of a mile. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw the impact as being really the impact being on less than 7% of our passengers in those corridors would allow us to speed up service, simplify service, and frankly, focusing on providing better amenities at those stops. That's Um, good. So really focusing on increasing our shelter inventory. We have, uh, in most of those quarters, digital real-time signage. So being able to upgrade that infrastructure, you know, try to provide a better quality product. And then by eliminating, frankly, some of the competing routes might operate two blocks away, having the opportunity for even more people to use it. So, and then even in a, uh, we were actually in a cost reduction mode. We were looking to eliminate about $8 million from our operating budget. But actually in those corridors, uh, in a couple of them, we actually beefed up service as we were eliminating some of the redundancies. Yeah. Some of these bus stops, 
I know that what I've seen uh, in Baltimore, where we cut from 6,000 stops down to 5,000, we cut 1,000 stops, was a lot of stops, the service had, had become zigzaggy. Because, uh, you know, a politician, a city councilman will call the administrator and say, hey, I need a bus stop over here for this community group. And my grandmother right. has a bridge game there on yeah. Saturday nights or whatever. And so part of this plan of why we're reducing bus stops is a lot of them have been put there not for the right reasons, but really just for political expediency. And maybe it serves somebody at one point, it doesn't serve right. them anymore. So uh, a lot of cities I see are going through as they reroute and reboot their network are saying – and also two or three stops sometimes on one block right. in, a, in a downtown area. You don't need that. That's one of the key factors of making your bus service popular again, and we're, try, we're all trying to get more ridership, is um, make your service faster, mm -hmm. reduce the friction. And if mm -hmm. you're stopping twice on a block, that isn't doing it, is right. it? Right. Well, and then there's the confusion of, you know, however yeah. often, I mean, the more often that operator has to look at the stop to see, you know, who might be there, yes. even if only one person a week boards. Um, the less they're focused on other things. The thing we are always having to be cautious about in a city like Nashville and many what I'll call Southern or Sunbelt cities that were really designed and built around the automobile is it's, it's a careful balance because we lack a lot of pedestrian infrastructure. Um, so, you know, you don't want to be making people walk too far when they're walking through drainage ditches and there's no sidewalks yeah, yeah. and what have you. But you do want to expedite. I'm a big believer in moving to service design guidelines so that if, to your point, if that politician or if that special interest group and says, we want you to do X, Y, Z, how does it fit into this framework? That's good, yeah. And then you work with your board of directors to try to stay within the framework or at the very least, if you're going to make an exception, do it deliberately yes. and not accidentally. Good example, one of the things we've done in the Better Bus program and with the recent service changes is reduce the number of what we call out-of-direction movements. So mm. a lot of people in transit agencies will know this. You have a particular bus route that has four different variants. This trip, it goes four blocks off route in that direction. The next trip, it does three blocks the other way. We looked at a metric that essentially compared, you know, again, with real-time and real place passenger boarding data, we know where and when people are getting on and off our system. So we looked at a metric that said, okay, if we've got, we'll use an example, if we have 15 people on a bus and that bus is gonna deviate four blocks off route to pick up one person, what is that metric? Mm -hmm. You know, What time are 15 people losing compared to that one pickup? And we basically set a threshold that said, well, if we've got, you know, on average, we might have 80 people a day riding this out-of-direction loop to pick up four people. That makes no sense. On the other hand, if we've only got four people riding the length of the route and we do an out-of-direction movement, maybe it's to a hospital or an educational facility that picks up 80 people, then that's an out-of-direction movement worth keeping. So try to look more at those service metrics that don't, they aren't hard and fast. I wouldn't call them rules. Right. But at least if you have a, a service plan or looking at a potential routing decision, this is a no-brainer. It fits within our guidelines. This is an exception. We need to kick it up level and make a conscious decision that we're going to essentially make our system a little bit more complicated. That's, that's really interesting. 
Last que- significant question I want to ask you is about your gamification you've got going on here. You oh. you were kind enough to help me with an article I was writing a few <laughs> months ago for one of the magazines. As we look at, you know, um, so you've got a Dunkin' Donuts coffee cup there, right? So I just went downstairs here at your station and yep. used my little app to buy a coffee before I came up here. Yep. And it's gamified, meaning I can get points and get extra right. free freebies. Right. You guys have a great program here. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, I would love to take credit, but it actually was born out of one of the benefits when something like transit mobility becomes a hot topic in your community is, I guess it's both good and bad. People come out of the woodwork with their ideas. And what was actually uh, an interesting collaboration we've done with with a software app called Hitch. And it's a local entrepreneur named Mark Cleveland who's become a good friend. He's developing a way, wanting to encourage more people to ride share. Could be carpool, could be transit, what have you. And he is, um, through the Hitch app, they've developed sponsorships in the corporate community to essentially award points and prizes off points for ride sharing. So we have beacons in our vehicles. It will pick up if you, it's called hitching a ride. Okay. If you hitch and you connect up with other folks, could be on the bus, could be a friend of yours you're carpooling with, that you um, you earn points for cash prizes. And uh, it's, you know, I'm not going to tell you that it's radically altered the ridership <laughs> scheme, um, but it's been kind of a fun thing. And we've actually had anecdotally riders say they've earned enough points to essentially off, offset the cost of the transit pass. The funny story I have about Hitch was recently, as I mentioned, we have a new mayor, and um, his inauguration was being held at a high school very near where my wife and I live. So we were going to go to the inauguration. I said, hey, we can take the route that runs right by our house in the opposite direction downtown, ride to the high school. The high school is maybe four blocks from the route where we would get off. So we get off the bus to go to the inauguration. We're walking along. Car stops. Car pulls over. So, Steve, you need a ride. It was Mark Cleveland <laughs> from Hitch, and we hitched the ride. Oh, that's great! So, um, <laughs> so we we got a few points uh, yeah. just off of that experience. Well, that's a great. Um innovative way to do it where your system didn't have to pay any money or whatever no, you're just hasn't cost yeah, us a penny you're coordinating with the private sector who's really supporting yeah. this i think that's a, a wonderful uh, way to end this is that even out of a you know what might be considered you know a downer that the that the people didn't support this uh, referendum which probably was biting off too much to chew so to speak too much too fast yeah yeah <laughs> you've been able to come out of that and come up with all kinds of other ideas yeah. you know the the new growth of uh, better kind of better setting up your bus network better and uh i think you've got a great future are there are there any uh, plans you have for the system in the next year or two that you've got right on your well there's doorstep? there's plenty going on a lot a lot of our focus right now is working on developing a network of neighborhood transit centers okay. um, again we lack a lot of pedestrian networks so where we want to develop more cross town and neighborhood circulator connections to our key high-frequency arterial routes, we're essentially going to have to build out that infrastructure. So we're actively working on three sites, three projects now, have two others kind of early in the works. So that's occurring. Our account-based fare collection system. So, yeah, we'll have mobile payment um, and account-based smart cards, uh, and we're revamping our employer-based program. And we have a number of employers who are going to move toward 
a deep discounted rate to cover all employees. Vanderbilt University, as an example, is moving in this direction with about 20,000 employees wow. who will have universal access to our system, where historically it's sort of been, if you're interested, you get a pass, they underwrite it. Now it's everybody who works there will instantly, just by virtue of their employee ID, you know, have that document in their pocket. That's great. Um, we're collaborating with TDOT and the City of Nashville Department of Public Works on coordinated transit signal projects. Paul, as you know, because you're affiliated with Trapeze, you're involved in that project um, to essentially give us priority, do some queue jumps. Yeah. Obviously, we continue with our fleet programs, and there's probably others that I'm not even <laughs> thinking about right now. Uh, we've been working actually closely with some of the TNC operators on improving our premium paratransit service. Our paratransit system, We Go Access, is the highest ridership paratransit system in Tennessee. We do about 1,500 trips a day. So we've been working um, with Trapeze on our imminent arrival uh, oh, right. system. So to be able to alert folks when their ride's coming. And we've been working with both the traditional TNCs and, um, frankly, as the taxi market continues to evolve, what I'll call the non-traditional TNCs in developing more same-day, real-time mm-hmm. uh, development of those trips. So a fair amount going on. Got a lot on your plate. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll keep plugging away. And, uh, and again, we'll continue to work with the state and the city on advancing the next large mobility initiative with dedicated, reliable funding that grows with the economy. <laughs> Great way to end it. End on your end on your uh, your three themes, right? Yeah. Well, Steve Land, CEO of WeGo, thanks so much for uh, allowing us in today. And you've got a wonderful system here, a wonderful city you're serving. And I think you're one of the best transit, most experienced transit leaders in the nation. Thank you so much for being a guest of ours on Transit Unplugged. You bet, Paul, and enjoy Nashville. I will. Thank you. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.